I, at the church I was at, I had a guy walk out and he goes, what? <laughs> and he walked and he right walked out with his family. How does that make you feel? I didn't actually notice, so. Tough crowd. Yeah. I don't think they read their, I was reading scripture, believe it or not. <laughs> the Bible. Of, the, I was like, Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, so I said, everybody open it. If you want to be my disciple, you have to hate your mother and your brother, your father. And he's, what? <laughs> he just took off. I was like, who was that guy? They're like, oh, don't worry. He's just on the board. <laughs> like, okay. Okay. Well, we're here with Herb, who wants you to hate your mother and your brother and uh, to become a disciple. Welcome, Herb. Thanks. Uh, we're here with Herbert Barbuti. Herbert is <laughs> is not only the VP of missions at Iris Global, uh, but he's also a really, really, really good friend and uh, and somebody that speaks into Iris uh, across the board, speaks into the missions movement across the board. And he's just a really fun guy, amazing father, amazing husband, leader at Iris. If you could, I, 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 this is the way that I love. I think that this is actually the way that I love to introduce you to people is out of all the humans that Heidi could have picked to represent missions for the missions movement, she she picked you, Herb. And uh, and I think that speaks to who you are, what you do, what you carry. And thanks for coming on our Iris uh, podcast, uh, The Green Room. Come on, Green Room. You like room, it? Man. You see that? Beautiful. And this is green, and that's green, <laughs> and mean, we're in a room. These could use a little water. Hey, let's things, not, but... don't worry about it. Uh, but they are green. So they these these have not been doing as well as we wanted them to do. I get it. But you know what? We just got to water them. <laughs> Fun fact: plants need water. Uh huh. And there is no actual sunlight in this room. It's <laughs> a good call. <laughs> How are you? Good, man. And thanks yeah? for having me on uh, Green Room. <laughs> you're welcome. I'm excited. I'm oh, you're, you're going to be on a lot. Oh, uh, yes. I'm so excited. Okay. You're going to be on a lot because you have all the things that we need to talk about. I'm excited. I don't know what these things are, but I'm so pumped. Man. You just got back from South Africa. Yes. What were you doing? Where were you doing over there? So in South Africa, we have the school. Mm -hmm. um, we, have, we have a few schools going during the summer. We've got the Harvest School, obviously, which now is kind of traveling and, and doing some new things. Really exciting. It's a little smaller than it used to be, um, which I think is makes it a little bit more intimate. So there's kind of that level of training mm -hmm. for people that are just getting to know Iris or have already been in the mission field and they want to hear um, Heidi and Roland and from their story. Um, so that that's going on right now and mostly... Uh, Israel mm -hmm. and then Madagascar before, but now it's moved over to South Africa as well. Yeah. And then we're in South Africa doing the Pioneer School. Talk about it. And so the Pioneer School is for people that already know they want to go out. Um, they kind of want to give 100%. They want to be radical about their faith and, and they want to do missions somewhere. Um, some of those people might do missions maybe in America, but we really teach kind of just a lot of scriptures, a lot of um, just Bible uh, the highest authority we feel is really the word of God. So, um, which is pretty new for a lot of charismatics. We've found out. Whoa, what? So, Hold on. I that's know. not true. I know that's come on. No, it's, are true. you serious? It's true that you can't say that the young ones. What do you mean? You have to define that. No, you so have a lot to of like people, I qualify think, you know, that. One of the first things I say at the school, it, I think, charismatics means a lot, a lot of things. No, you're right. No, okay. I'm saying more of our stream and uh, <laughs> that we're so sure. And so, no, it's just, it's a lot of, we get a lot of young people, which is awesome. Yes. That's what we want. We want those guys that, and uh, I think everybody just passionate about the, the Lord and stuff, but I think it's very different now. Uh, there's a lot of podcasts probably like this. 
Uh, so, and, and there's a lot of like YouTube videos. So people just kind of search what they want to hear, mm -hmm. right? If I, they want a subject, I don't do this. I wasn't part of this, so I don't really, but do this. But a lot of people would be like, listen, I want provision. Right. Or faith or right. so on. Healing. Or, Healing. Yeah. So they'll, they'll grab that message. Very, you can imagine how many times people go to like, you know, uh, surrender and things like that. And so there's all these amazing messages out there and people kind of just take from these speakers. Okay. Right. Instead of maybe the Bible. And so we actually had to, a few years back, incorporate the New Testament as required reading for our mission schools. Uh, which we didn't think going into it, you go into a mission school and come for summer, that that would have been an issue, but it just was. Are you serious? Yeah. Yeah. It's part of our required reading. So you you have students that are coming up to you and they're like, hey, I don't read the Bible. I just listen to messages on provision. That's exactly what they are say. Are you serious? No, they don't say that. But after you spend a few months, you go, you get a lot of, what I have to say in the beginning now, because of a lot of these instances, is, right. um, it sometimes sucks. I said, you know, listen. During the school, the Bible is the highest authority. I have no problem with anyone asking me questions or disagreeing, but when you come up to me, please don't come up and say, well, Bill Johnson, even Heidi Baker or Will Hart, I saw this in a video and they right. say this. I said, one, you don't know them. You don't know the context. And second, I don't care if it's not really scriptural, right? So we're debating all these things based on these what these people say about it instead of actually the word of God. And so we had that happening quite a bit. Um, and so I was shocked. I said, well, what about this scripture? How, how would you respond to that? After, you know, someone will come and say, oh. Give me an example. Like, give me an actual example. I, I can't. Give you can't give? Example. Of course you can. Come on, Herb. Um, oh, man. No? I, I, I don't want to be too specific. Okay. Because, I mean, these are, these are all people we love, right? And I, so I'll say it's out of context. So okay. let's give a, an example that happens a lot. Culture of honor. Right. Okay. Or, or prophecy only being positive, which right. I, I don't think is what necessarily like some of the prophetic moves really think, but there's right. a lot of this, like, it's gotta be positive prophecy. I go, well, I agree with that for the most part. That's, that's God's heart is to edify, but yeah. there's also times to call out different things. That's yep. part of That's an important part of the prophetic, especially, you know, um, that office of prophet. Um, and so people ask, well, you know, how's that possible? I go, well, here's all the scripture. There's entire books of negative prophecy by the prophets, right? right? How do you explain that? Well, so-and-so taught me in this right. school that that's just not, I go, so we're not talking about Bible. We're talking about what people believe, what they think, what they like, right. and what, they, what they've grown to believe just because somebody said it, which I think is, a, is normal, but I think it's, it shows an immaturity. Um, so we're trying to kind of get past that. Um, because I think a lot of those things that, you know, they tickle our ears and we hear what we want to hear, you know? Okay. So, so here we go, Herb. What are the things, what are the greatest things that like you, you said our movement, right? What are the greatest things that you see lacking that need to be taught, need to be preached right now? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I think the bakers do a good job. I think you, you know, like I think people are preaching. I think the things that need to get kind of probably more accepted are probably just the teachings of Jesus. Some of the simplicity, um, the surrender. I think we're we're kind of. Um, I think one of the things with missionaries in this mm -hmm. move and, and ministers is a lot of people kind of have a savior complex, which is fairly normal, where they feel that they need to be the ones changing the world, and they need to be saving the world. So we've got missionaries going to do really good works, 
but could be humanitarian aid just as yeah. easily. And there's a question I find myself asking a lot in a Christian mission. You've you've encouraged me to start asking this question, and I've I, I've really enjoyed the road to take me down. Go yeah, for it. and people will go, listen, I, my life is for this, and we'll have dream talking right. again. Well, I want to do this. I want to eliminate poverty. I go, okay, well, that's amazing. So does Bill Gates, right? You know, but where's Christ in this? Where is Jesus in this? What's spiritual about this? I'm not saying it's not. It could be. But the point is just that in itself, there's nothing necessarily right. or inherently Christian about it. Um, you know, the uh, sex, sex slavery stuff, you know, and sex trafficking. I think it's definitely on God's heart. But I think the way people go into it is very much kind of this social justice idea, right? And you look at Jesus, and he was all about justice. He is just. He's righteous, right? Yeah. Um, but he didn't, you don't see him coming in going, hey, we're going to take the Romans out, right? And everybody wanted him to do that. Everybody wanted the liberation of the Jews at that point. That's yeah. what they're looking at the Messiah for, including probably the disciples. And he still goes as far as to kind of deny that expectation and speak against it and go, that's not what the kingdom of God actually is, you know? And there's something much deeper. Um, and so it's, it's these kind of things I think we need to be talking about. I yeah. think people need to... And again, I think Jesus' teachings speak a lot to this. You know, he had to combat this a lot in his life because there was this expectation of people wanting to change the world and save the world. Peter takes a sword out and cuts a guy's ear off, right? right? And he's ready to go and do this. And that was the expectation of Messiah. And Jesus, you know, really throws him off um, by saying, no, that's not what we're doing. He puts the ear on, heals it, mm -hmm. right? And he says, this is, this is the will of God. That, that's a very difficult thing. And I think if we were to apply that in our own lives, we'd be in a much better place as a movement than they go, no, but that's what God wants me to do. Take, take things on my own strength, go save the world. Um, and that, I think it doesn't speak to really what God well, wants. We can't save the world. We can't save anybody. Only, only Jesus can. Right. So what do you say to that 21-year-old that's, that's encountered Jesus, been full of the Spirit, the Lord has deposited something beautiful in their hearts. Like I want to, I want to go help people that are being trafficked, or I want to go help people that are that are suffering, or I want to feed feed people or start a school. What would you say to that to that twenty one year old? I'd say that's amazing. Um, and just fasting and prayer is going to be, I think, a key of that kind of lifestyle. Just making sure that you're in the Word, that you're praying, that you're seeking out, and that you're not. I think surrounding yourself with good people, like mm -hmm. community is critical in discipleship, that you have yeah. discipleship happening in your life, whether you're being discipled or you're discipling others. Right. Um, it keeps you grounded. Right. Um, and so I think, yeah, but I, I think if it's a 21-year-old or so on like that, I say, if you have the passion for it, go for it. Yeah. But a lot of what we have to say at that age is like, do it. We're here for you, but like, it's a lot of talk sometimes. I think all of us have this, right? Like we have these amazing dreams, but... We're not, we're not actually judged on the intention of the heart. Right. You know, I and mean, we are to an extent, right? Because God, God does look at the heart. Um, but as we're judged, even you look at Revelation, the way he judges is actually by actions. I've seen your works. Mm -hmm. and, and I think the, and the reason really is, is because real love produces fruit, right? And so there is that qualification where something has to be changed. Something has to happen. If it really is on your heart that you want to change the world, then it needs to sh look like something. And, and I think Heidi always said that, you know, love looks like something. Right. And um, very much echoes what, what Jesus says. You know, there isn't real love if you're not willing to, to follow in his ways and obey. Yeah. And so yeah, I think a lot if of these guys— If you love me, you'll obey what I command. 
a lot of these guys I think could get, you know, God's going to teach you along the way, but I think everybody wants it so neat and straight. And I want this many supporters and I want this church to back me. And I want to be well known before I go and do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they, they miss an essential growing process there, um, which I'm really thrilled that some people are going after. Like we have a lot of pioneers going out. They're just yeah. going for it. Um, and I think that's the big push right now for those that age group. I think, you know, you, when you were, you started when you were what? 17. 17. Yeah. That's when I started too. You, right. Same, and, same age. And you, you don't have supporters. You don't have anybody. No. There's no like, oh, I'm part of no, a I have people ministry. against me. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, and I think it's, it's essential to that perseverance. Mm-hmm. Those first legs, you start kind of creating your culture and your life. And I think if we try to mix the world with, with, and the expectation of the world, kind of like, I want to be big. I want to be well known. Right. I want people to love me. I think it can really poison that that journey for us and be really disappointing um, because, I mean, Jesus himself says, right, like the world's going to hate you. Right. They hated me and you're not greater than me. And so they're going to hate you too, <laughs> right? And I think we have a lot of people that think they are a little bit better than Jesus in that sense and think, I well, found the line. You, you think people think they're better than well, Jesus? Well, in Jesus' words, he says, you know, no, the, no student is greater than his master. If mm-hmm. they hated me, they'll hate you also. Right. And in that sense, he's telling his disciples, don't think that you're better than me in this, right? Like, if they hate me, they're definitely going to do that to you, too, if you're carrying what I carry. And I think we have some people going, well, no, the world can really love me. I can fully love God, and I figured out a way that I can do both. And in that way, I think in that context, it'd be like the disciples saying, no, Jesus, we found a way that's better than, than what you're doing. Right. Well, a lot of the, there was a lot of people that really loved Jesus. There was a lot of people that in the natural shouldn't, you know, like, they were unbelievers and they they yep. hated the teaching they hated who he was but when they heard the message turned and and so there's a lot of people that that did love him that originally hated him but there's a lot of people that just hated him right yeah absolutely so are you saying there's a mark of of being a disciple where you you have to be hated to an extent by the world now what what that means we can look at like is it yeah. every person obviously not you right um there's the believers in the world so Jesus he, he kind of he talks about the world and and the kind of the sin of the world and and these kind of notions, but it's in a general form, yeah. Um, where it certainly implies the majority uh, as a mark, right? And so it doesn't mean even for Jesus, his life, he was loved at times, right? Mm-hmm. When people get healed or so on, but nobody was necessarily fighting for Jesus at the cross. You know, the disciples had abandoned him. Um, you know, if anything, there was obviously the Pharisees were very happy about. The crucifixion, yeah. but so were so were other people. It was a mob. It wasn't just the Pharisees. Um, and so, how deep was that love? You know, I think you know it wasn't very deep. Um, and so, it, I think it's Hold on, whose love wasn't very deep of those people. You know, those people that loved him at one point. They're yeah. saying, "Listen," and they're welcome in to the city. Okay, right, and they're waving palm branches, mm-hmm. and they're like, "He's the Messiah." Those are more than likely there was a good overlap of those people being there when he's being tried, right? Right. And crucified. So, you know, I think there's things move. He had a certainly a time of popularity, mm-hmm. but in general, I wouldn't say it was love uh, necessarily. Um, at least it was not a very deep love. It didn't last more than two and, days in that situation. And just so I, I understand, uh, then the reason why you're saying that is because there weren't people that were stopping the crucifixion? No, those people, so okay. there was a mob of saying crucify, crucify. Right. Right. So that wasn't just the Pharisees. It says right. they were they were egging it on. Um, and so I wouldn't say no. But I mean, if you loved somebody, right, you'd probably be there. You'd be protesting it to an right. extent. Um, right. 
regardless of that, that probably isn't really the point. I would say they, okay. when they start yelling crucify, I would say that right. would probably mean you don't really love the person right, tons right, right. in that case. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm sure there were people that really loved. Obviously, Mary's there, Jesus, yeah. Ma- Magdalene, Mary yeah. Magdalene was there. So there were people that really There was loved. somebody that carried the cross for, for Jesus. Yes, not voluntarily. But still did it. <laughs> still, yeah. Uh, and um, yeah, and there definitely were, you know, um, John. And uh, I mean, Peter's off. Voluntarily. But, you know, Peter loves, I think the disciples, they all love him. And, and Peter says that right. when he's reaffirmed. Right. They, they just weren't there. And so it, it maybe isn't the image that we'd like to apply to ourselves. Right. right. Um, and I think as long as we do, it's, it's good. You know, yeah. if you're looking, look, some people are going to love you, of course. Like, yeah. you know, when you're you're out ministering, like there's a lot of unbelievers that they catch something and they they love it. You know, yeah. we had drug drug leaders in Brazil that loved us. Right. Right. Like they're like, oh, what you do for the kids. So they're looking at that sense of it. And, and they we have favor for a time. Yeah. But ultimately, when, you know, you, people start getting saved and then they're not buying drugs, this yeah. is a problem for them. So you're always looking at kind of like this isn't necessarily rooted in something that will last. Right. You just threw in a great snippet. So for those of you guys who don't know, Herb and his wife with the team, you had a base in Fortaleza that you started years ago. How old were you when you started that base? Um, well, how old was I? Maybe 24. Mm-hmm. I think I was 24. But I started with this um, other missionary who's a little older, Andrew Fanston, yeah. British guy, amazing guy, who had done YWAM for like, I think, uh, almost a decade when we were there in Brazil. Yeah. And so uh, we didn't think we'd plant uh, a base in Brazil. And I never really felt called like to Brazil. But you right are, after. You, you're half Brazilian. I'm half Brazilian. Right. So. Is it half? Or you, I know you got some Italian. Yeah. I'm like, a, I mean, it's one of my three okay. citizenships. But I, you know, I'm not very Italian at all. So I consider myself basically half Brazilian. Okay. Um, they probably wouldn't consider me that. I, uh, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so. My parents are Brazilian, so mm-hmm. I, I have that whole culture. I kind of understand, but I'm from the south, which is kind of the richer part of it. Okay, Fort Laser, where we started bases up in the north, so it's very different, um, very poor, considering, um, and a lot of slums. Um, yeah. So, Sao Paulo has huge slums, but it's it's a little different. It's a little more uh, infrastructure in those guys, and um, been there as well. Um, Dershaw's doing some cool stuff there, but yeah. uh, but. Ultimately, we, we kind of started this project helping Andrew uh, start his ministry there. He had already started, but we started some new ministries in a prayer house in the slum and a missional community. And from that, in three or four years, I think we had maybe 40 missionaries and we had you know red light outreach and a school and some things. Yeah. So God really blessed it. Brazil is so hungry. So people from all over Brazil would come up and uh, train with us and mm-hmm. get discipled. And then it's really cool now. I think it's been about seven or seven years yeah eight years um people are going they're pioneering their own stuff in uh different parts of the world it's amazing i went to i went to your base and and uh you you know of course you and andrew uh and your wife and helped pioneer that but i went there and i was blown away ministering i went with andrew to minister in the favela next to the base i forget what yeah. it was called Oi, don't. yeah and i i watched one of the most beautiful christ-like moments uh, as as this woman who had lived in your house had 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 been a part of your ministry, as we were walking through the slums, and when when I say slums, it's not like it's not a ghetto. It, you're this is this is completely run by drug lords. Yeah, this is insanely dangerous. There's murders. There's beatings every day. 
it is a it is not a safe place. And we were walking through there. First of all, Andrew, everybody just comes up and gave gives Andrew hugs. And around the corner, this woman comes walking, strung out on crack. And she had lived in your house mm-hmm. and lived and been a part of the ministry. And I watched Andrew just like wrap his arms around this woman who who was met with this guilt, love, conviction, you know, as 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 she saw this man, you know, that had poured into her life and she, and 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 he saw her at her worst. Hmm. And I watched the whole team just come around this woman with no condemnation, but just radical love, wrap their arms around her and uh, pray for her. And I watched that. I watched that uh, the, the the crack just lift her, leave her body hmm. as they were praying for her. It was one of the most powerful things I've seen in a long time. Yeah. And I think it really speaks to what you guys were doing down there. It, it, we were, we, you guys have a prayer house in in the the slum. So just this this place where people can come and get prayer, but also you guys are praying for this city. I thought it was so beautiful. Just rounds the corner and there and there and there she was and and she got in the car with us and Andrew mm-hmm. and some of the missionaries took care of her and got her some more help, but I I just I was so blown away at the at the beauty of of what you guys started. And and uh how did you know that you were called to do that? Like cuz I think a lot of people watching, they they hear my testimony, they hear a story like this, they they see Heidi they yeah. they hear all these stories, but what what was the moment where you're like I'm called to missions? I'm going to go do this. And what were the steps that you took to get there? To missions, um, yeah. I I mean you know I I don't know if people know, but, but um, I got baptized in the Holy Spirit with you and Bob. So Will, you were a teenager, right? And then you guys came to Holland, Michigan, and I got that's when I got baptized in the Holy Spirit. And so I think from that point on, because my reference was was. Captain Bob, who had said, well, maybe you're going to come to, you're yeah. about to be with Randy. And he said, well, maybe you're going to come be with me in Paraguay. So I thought, okay, I'll go to Paraguay. Um, and, and I think growing up in kind of a Christian town, you kind of, even though people weren't necessarily Christian, everybody right. in, in like Holland is kind of considered Christian, right? Um, and so everyone had heard the gospel, I would evangelize for months. And then just this desire, as I read the Bible, to kind of go to where um, people didn't know about God. And so... Um, so this I, is happening on your own. You're yeah, like, on my own. You're praying. You're Sandy hungry Patty for God. On, uh, and Sandy Patty on the radio. Whoa, <laughs> well, Michael W. Smith. Wow, yeah. Sandy Patty. I haven't heard that name in a long time. <laughs> Most people probably won't. It was the it '80s, <laughs> late '80s. Yeah, no, early '90s. '90s. Right? I feel like I anyway, remember. it doesn't it, matter. That's what was. <laughs> so you're all <laughs> Michigan radio man. Oh. I didn't know. I didn't have any <laughs> access. Um, so I would shut my room and, and put on the Christian radio was playing that stuff and read my Bible for hours a day. And, yeah. and then eventually start evangelizing on the streets, which was like, it was one street, you know, like a quarter of a mile. Right. And, um, and this is before people are saying, take it to the streets. Yeah. This is, like, yeah. This and is just I something have, you're doing on your own. I didn't have access to any of that. I didn't know yeah. what a charismatic was. I didn't know there was a whole the spirit filled church. <laughs> I didn't, you know, I just thought, and, and so doing all that, um, but always thinking like, I'm going to go to Paraguay or something. And eventually after a little bit, I kind of started realizing that might not happen the way I thought it was going to happen. But as I prayed, I think um, there just needs, and as you're reading, you kind of start going, okay, the church has this mission. And so you get to the Great Commission. I'm studying, right? I'm studying and saying, I want to understand it. So the Great Commission is important, mm-hmm. right? I didn't ha- hear a teaching on it at the time, but I, you could tell. Jesus is going up. He's given this command to the church. Right. And so it was more a question of, where can I be most useful to God? Yeah. Um, and I, 
I wish I had heard. And at that point, I had just been down with Randy with you guys the mm-hmm. first time, the first power invasion. In, uh, in where was that? Curitiba? Or? Yeah, Curitiba. Yeah. Yep. YPI. And I, met, and I met Jamie Galloway mm-hmm. and um, we became a close friend. And, I, you know, just the stories from Randy and all those people, the Brazilians are just yeah. having visions all the time. And, uh, you know, and I was like, so I kind of felt like, man, I'm not very anointed. And it kind of became that question of like, I just don't hear the way people hear. Yeah. Um, I've never had that kind of vision and things like that. And just really crying out for that. Um, eventually at the end of it, I did get kind of my first little vision. I was like, yes, it's a vision. It maybe wouldn't count for most people, but for me, I was like, <laughs> It's a vision. And then from there, I just started really trying to understand God's will. What is his will? What is his desire? And prayer, 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 going out, testing it. You see Acts and go, okay, we're going to try everything that's in Acts. We're going to cast out demons and heal the sick and do all that. Didn't always... People didn't always let me pray for them, but you know, I would try sometimes. One of my favorite deliverance stories is with you, Herb, but we can tell that another time. But yeah. Oh yeah. I remember that one. Uh, well, I don't know which one, but yeah. I with Moosey. Yes. With my wife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When she, yeah, anyway. I was in YPI. And um, so, I mean, like, you know, I think um, really just realizing I had given up everything when I got, this is the only, when I got baptized in the Holy Spirit, I kind of made this vow in my, in my heart. I said, God, this love is better than life, and I, I'm going to drop everything else, yeah. and I'm going to pursue this. And so I dropped, like, I, I wanted to go to a very prestigious college, and that had been my whole life, was trying to get into the Ivy Leagues and do that. And I was in my junior, and, and it was kind of getting close now, and and it just started, really didn't satisfy me, even the idea of going, even now that it was looking like a real possibility. It, so I gave all of that up, and then searching, what can I do with my life, it became that question, what is the most useful? What does God actually want? How can I please him? And what does he desire? And obviously he desires us. So that was easy. Like after a while, I started going, wow, God just, he loves me. You know, there's not much I can bring in a certain element of, you know, um, but on the other side, he does desire love. And, and that became the question, how can I love God? And David said this thing. He said, you know, he goes to buy a field where the temple is going to be built. Yeah. And the guy just gives it to him. He's like, listen, have it for free. You're the king, like, it's my honor to do this. And I think most of us would go like, yes, God's providing. And, and David actually, he says, there's no way I can, I can do that. He says, you know, far be it from me to give God something that costs me nothing. Yeah. And I think that's kind of, that really stuck with me that, you know, God doesn't need money. He doesn't need my job and all my talents and all these things. There, but he does want my heart. Right. And so the question became, how do I give him my heart? And... And then you hear these stories and these things that inspire you, you know, like I had heard about Heidi very briefly from Randy, actually, at the YPI. And uh, the story, I think, went something that I heard, like she went out with nothing, sat on a street corner, and now there's a revival in like 10,000 churches or whatever. Yeah. And so I thought, you know, I'd be hearing these stories and then you look at Acts and how Paul did it and, and you start going, okay, I want to start seeing this. Um, but I also have to give my life for this. And so without any supporters or anything, just a one-way ticket decided to go to Mozambique mm-hmm. um, to go to the Congo. And then that's where we saw each other yeah. again. Um, in Mozambique, you had just moved there. Yeah. Uh, and I think you were gone right when I came in. And then, and then we had maybe a couple of years there. And so that was an amazing start. So um, how old were you at this time? I was 18. 18, moved to northern Mozambique, helped pioneer the Pema base in yeah. northern Mozambique. Yeah. I remember that very well. Yes. Yeah. You had a kitten. Oh. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. I, I had wanna... a kitten for like five, five days. <laughs> I knew nothing about it. it. I look back now and go, I probably sickly. killed that guy. You probably did. But let's not, let's not talk about it. Okay, so you go, you go to Mozambique. 
So gonna, to go to the Congo. No, no, I'm thinking about no it's what was his name? Tank? Yeah, Tank. gosh. He died in my hand. He did. I watched it. I said, bye, Tank. Wasn't that right at the time? You, I like literally were thinking how to kill this guy because he was suffering so No, much. we weren't thinking. Yes, it. we were. No, you maybe. Were, you thought we should run it over real no, quick. No, I did you not did. think that. You I did. did not think that. And maybe we're, we're I don't think it. It I was thought a that. It was, it was a long time mercy. ago. And it was 120 degrees out. And your brain starts telling you. It was a mercy. It was a mercy. The poor cat could barely breathe. He was in a lot of pain. Yeah. Um, and obviously no, no vets out there. <laughs> and so we're like, I love this cat. Uh, my only friend on the mission field. Oh, no. I was there, Herb. Exactly. No. And so, <laughs> no, just kidding. It, it, but I got attached to this cat. It, I saved off of little kids, like throwing rocks at. And so, yeah. but he, he was tiny. I think he was, he was a newborn or something. And so. Eventually, I think he had like milk bubbles. It was okay. It we was can bad. we can move past the anyway. We can died. move past tank your your, your cat. He died. But anyway, you moved to Mozambique. You were going to go to the Congo. I went. Yeah, and so um, got in touch with. I met Heidi at a school in Brazil. Yeah. So I got invited to the school during YPI. I got invited to this school in Brazil, and I did. I was really hardcore. Didn't want to do any schools. I thought just need the Bible and God. Um, and then God really spoke to me, which I was very thankful. I didn't always hear very clearly. Um, at that time. And so heard to go to this school and ended up being an inner healing school, which the lady who had yeah. told me about it was one of the main, like, you know, administrators for it. And she, she had told me it was a missionary school, you know? And so, um, but God used it. I mean, I, I loved it. Um, we learned from, uh, what was that guy? Sanford. Yeah. From John Sanford. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Michael Wallace. Is this Wallace, the Nehemiah school? Nehemiah yeah, school. Yeah. I don't think they still have it. I'm not I don't sure. Think, it was I a small school and yeah. awesome. Just an amazing time. Uh, and from then, really fasted and prayed, felt Congo. Yeah. Um, and it, the reason we felt that, I felt that is just because I didn't know where else to go. And I knew there weren't missionaries in Congo. Mm -hmm. And I think some people really need like a word of the Lord. Like, I got to be here. And I had a lot of people tell me I was going to die. Yeah. Um, it was the most dangerous nation on the planet at that at that uh, time. Yeah. And so, you know, it just, it was like Google was new back then. And mm -hmm. just said, hey, where's the darkest place? No missionaries. And there's a few places, but Congo really kind of stuck out to me. Yeah. And so we just kind of, me and another friend were thinking about going, and we just, our thought was we either in two years are going to be real men of God or we'll, we'll have died. But, you know, it's one or the other. And uh, we had seen other friends that were a little older, you know, go through kind of the ministry motions and things like that at this point. And it didn't always work out so well. Yeah. There's a lot of disillusionment, a lot of, you know, losing sight of what's what they really were after and and jesus and so we didn't want to do that so we just thought this will be good either yeah. we go to be with the lord or we come out real men of god you know um and and i think that was that was probably great thinking looking back um and fortunately didn't die yes. um, but praise god but we went together to the congo yeah we did um maybe like not it, four actually there was after. there was four of us on that four on of us first team Moosey and Cassandra. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Cassandra Lee now. Yeah, yeah. And she's so, a great girl. Yeah, she she's was on 18. fire for God. Yeah, she. I think she was seventeen actually. Wow. And I think you were eighteen. She was seventeen Maybe. at the time. All I remember is that we had a really young team. It was. But God did so much there. Yeah. I look back. Like honestly, I look back at all my years of ministry traveling. Like, there's a couple of highlights. Mm. I, I don't know if you do the same thing. I like lay in bed at night. Uh, trying to fall asleep. And I, I do, like, I remember, like, I look back and I go, man, these, like, this was a point that shifted my life. This yeah. was a thing that shifted my life. Paraguay was that. Of course, Mozambique was that. But but Congo, that trip to Congo, I look back as one of the greatest month and a half of my life 
uh, for multiple reasons, partially because we left Congo with a baby. Yeah, <laughs> not not us. No, <laughs> yeah, but that whole trip, <laughs> that whole trip marked my life in wow. a really powerful way. Yeah, I know it did. I know it did yours as well. Oh yeah, I mean, I think going into a place like that, everyone's going, look, it's dangerous yeah. and things, and just having faith. I remember when we got there, there was a pastor on one of the first days that we yep. met with, which was a Congolese guy. There weren't a lot of foreign missionaries at this point, no, um, in the country. I don't think we met any. Um, and I don't. And he I was remember meeting any. He was like running some old Baptist mission or something and and he told us like if you see rebels or you see the army one, either of those yeah. two just run don't try to convert them just get away from there um and he said you know something along the lines like i'm not even sure if they can be saved or things like that <laughs> you know he was just saying like don't be dumb and and we ended up seeing um you know when when you you, you end up speaking to the army mm -hmm. through some miracles and i remember being in the back praying just seeing these guys lay down their weapons and I, I think it just hit home. Like, you know, I think some missions get really, um, they validate themselves. I think we have that tendency. And so yeah. really early on being able to see God can do whatever he wants to do. Yeah. Uh, even if people saying it's hard or it's the hardest place or this can't happen, God can do whatever he wants to do. I think for me coming out of that, even though it was really difficult, some of the scenario of it, um, you know, I, I remember being so marked uh, yeah. I don't feel like you can go back to those validations you, anymore. You can't like, uh, I've noticed this a lot and you, you, you know, you tell me if I'm wrong, but it, you know, we work with a lot of missionaries and you, and we meet some that are like spirit filled and that are going, you know, going after it. And then I, remember, were you there when we bought that blue truck in Nampula? Were you yeah. there? Yeah, yeah. Do you remember sitting at the table? Okay. Herb and I went to like South where we're in, in yeah. this, this is one of those times that I like, I was like, Oh man, not all missionaries are the same. We drove, and this isn't a knock on them at all. Like, right. But it was like this eye-opening experience for me. We we went from Pemba about six hours south to Nampula to, to find a truck because we needed trucks. And so Heidi's like, she would do this. She's like, you, you, go do this. Buy this truck. Do this thing. And so we we loaded up. We drove down to Nampula with Joshim. I think Joshim yeah. was there as well. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. You remember Joshim? Yeah, Shout out to Joshim uh, in Pennsylvania. I don't know. Or I think he's in, uh, I think he's in Florida now. Uh -huh. uh, so we drove down there to buy these trucks and, and we ended up like asking around and they were like, Oh, I think there's this missionary that has, we wanted a land cruiser. Mm. And so long story short, we ended up at this missionary's house, this American missionary's house. And we were there for dinner. We were like, we're missionaries. And they brought us in their house and we sat down with their kids, like homemade dresses and 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 really yeah, sweet, yeah, like yeah. been there twenty something years or some really really long time, like the the quintessential give their lives for the field. And we started sharing stories. Do you remember any of this? I actually I want to go. I want I think to help you get your truck. I don't know if I was there for this. Oh, you weren't. I don't think so. I I'm, I thought you were. Maybe, I know Josh I, maybe was there. I was. I, but but we started telling these stories like, oh, we're seeing this person saved and this person saved and this group saved and this church was planted and this and like that was last week. And I remember them sitting there like no one eating and they're like, we've been here. We've been doing this for like ten years. We've never seen anybody get saved. Or you know, we saw five people get saved or this or that. And, and you could tell the difference very, very clearly between somebody who's who's lost their zeal, lost that passion, lost that desire to go, I'll go anywhere, do anything. It, you know, like, and, and it goes back to the to what you were saying. When you approach the missions field, when you approach your calling with that zeal, like I'm I'm in this, doors open up. Like there, it, it, yeah. of course it was the Holy Spirit that opened, and Jesus that opened up these doors, but it was also like, 
you were hungry. Cassandra was hungry. I was hungry. We were like, we'll go anywhere. Yeah. Like, we'll just get up. Like, we were so excited to be led by God. We didn't have an agenda. We didn't have a plan. And doors just opened up all around us, which led to things like, you know, speaking to the Congolese soldiers or, yeah. or you know, going on the radio station, you know, the, and, and, and preaching on the radio. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But but then you hear people that kind of just get caught up in the the systems and this is my role, this is what I do, and they lose that zeal, lose that passion, and I think a lot of doors begin to close at that at that point. Yeah. Um, but how do you maintain that yeah. passion on the on the field? Because everywhere you go, whether it's been in Brazil or and I know you you travel all over, just in South Africa, like you're you're speaking to this group to maintain that passion and that zeal. Yeah. How, what do you, what are, how would you encourage people to do that? Um, I think, I, it, you know, you, again, staying in, in his presence is key, of course, and it's generic, but it's, it, because you need this thing called humility. You know, you need to be humble before God. And I think there's this really difficult question. I think we all want to be something, you know, I, I, you know, you start ministry, you think it's so pure, but you realize like part of this is I want to be this or that, mm -hmm. or I have this idea. And, and God's, really faithful and he's gracious to to let that come and also strip that away when it's time but it's being able to let that stuff get stripped yeah and let that stuff fall off you and and not validate yourself i think if there's one thing i, I speak a lot about entitlement and validation and i think as you're in a country for a long time i remember i was in italy my first mission field so psyched yeah zeal like i was 17 and it was only for six months and i thought i'm gonna change the world because a little revival happening back in holland at this time and i thought this is gonna be great I started preaching to people right away. I was went on a fast preaching yeah. to people, almost you know, uh, passed out on the streets, and and nobody understood me because you know I spoke a little Portuguese, but they speak Italian, right. and so a little bit of an oversight, right, as a missionary. But I didn't have the language, and so I I remember thinking at that point, going after a week or two, going nothing's happening. People they don't even understand. Yeah, I started kind of thinking the gospel is about me in a way, right, and kind of noble terms like oh well i don't have the language i need to study which i think you should like i'm all about in our schools we say i'm gonna have to go you know we're planning on going to japan i'm trying to learn the language yeah that's vital are you announcing that well i mean we are right i love I it mean, okay yeah, go yeah. for it yeah um uh unless the lord changes something i don't irish, know about irish based japan <laughs> i'm excited okay continue uh, on but you know learning the language is vital but i think if you think it's by your own strength. I think even at 17, I could have validated. I remember at the end of that six months going, I, I failed this season. Yeah. You know, you look back at a season, you go, did I do what I was supposed to do, what I had in my heart, what I felt God could do? And it's easy to go, well, it was different, and I was young, or I was zealous. And 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 then, you know, what you're doing is you're kind of validating yourself. I didn't do so much wrong. It just, you know, I've grown out of that. And so for me, I just said, you know what? God can do it. However, I chose to spend all this time doing language and doing all these things, which I think it should have, but I stopped preaching the gospel. I stopped hoping that anything would happen right. if I didn't have the language. And I thought to myself, if I would have just prayed on a street corner or at a plaza, which is like a park, you know, if I would have done that for three hours a day, and I'm there just for missions, right? Yeah. I have like my whole day open. If I would have done that three hours a day, every day, just knelt there and prayed and talked to something, people didn't have to understand me, they were at least it would have given God a chance to move. By sitting in my room just you know, learning Italian, hiding away, and validating myself. Nothing. I didn't give God any chance to move. And and so, you know, I didn't fail. I didn't feel like I failed because there was no salvation. There even were yeah. by the grace of God. But 
it was because of that attitude. And I think it's really easy, especially when you stay on a field a little longer yeah. and, or you're in ministry or you're in a church or you're pastoring a church and you think this is just what it's going to be. Yeah. You know, I thought it was going to be this big thing. It was going to change the world, but no, I'm called to just this little tiny little thing. Um, and it's not necessarily about the numerical size, but there's this thing of expansion. Even in the early church, it was critical for them. They would always say, you know, they were adding to their number. They're, they're expanding. There's something that causes them to have to have faith and not just get um, comfortable. Yeah. And I think missionaries, you know, it's unfortunately people I've sent out, you know, I've seen this go out full of zeal, so excited to change the world. Like, you know, and maybe, you know, not realistic expectations in some ways, some worldly expectation, but ultimately given their life. Mm-hmm. To like four years later, they know the language, they've invested so much, and now, but their expectation, you know, when they go in, they're discouraging. They, they tell other people, I, you know, don't worry, this is a really hard place. Right. You don't, you don't come in and see people right. saved right away. And I, I can't stand that. You know, I think it's a, it's, it's a self-validation. Since I haven't seen it, right. nobody else can see it. It's not possible that I messed up or I didn't have enough faith or I did, you know, so that stuff, I think you have to be willing to humble yourself and go, I didn't see it, but I want to see it. And yeah. I'm going to change my outlook and I'm not going to be telling people they can't see it just because yeah. I didn't. So come on. Humility, I think. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So listen, I, we've been chatting for a little while and I know, whoa, yes, we have been, but I wanted to get to one or two other things before we, yeah. before we end this hour. Uh, number one, I want you to just chat for a minute about discipleship and I want to hear your take on discipleship right now. Like, and what does that look like in today's day and age? And then I just want you to share a little bit about your, your second tier school, if that's okay. Yeah. A little bit more. Yeah, sure. Go for it. Um, just so you know, like Herb is Herb, you and your wife are massive on discipleship and a lot of your model, uh, I, that I will see is I watch you guys raise up people, send them out. It's based on on this idea of coming together, communal living, community, living in the light with each other and, and discipling very intentional discipleship. That's very intimate. Like a lot of people, it would make them feel really uncomfortable, but I, the fruit that comes out of it is massive. One of my favorite stories is of, of some of our, some of our Irish missionaries. And there was a gentleman, I don't even know if I'm allowed, am I allowed to share? I don't, I I think so. I don't know. Do you know what I'm talking about? They're in uh, Portugal right yeah. now. Am I allowed to share any yeah. of that? Uh, he, he shared it publicly. Yeah. So, I so shared it. For me, I, I, and I didn't know this. I met, I met him and his wife years later, and they're like, "Oh yeah, you didn't know that I was a. I came out of Herb's ministry. He was a. Correct me if I'm wrong. He was a prostitute. I don't know if he was a prostitute. Maybe, but I think you. I don't know which one you're talking about now. Fernando, <laughs> there's I don't so think many. Was. Okay. Okay, there was somebody, okay, maybe I'm mixing up my stories, but living, basically living a life of debauchery. Yes. And came in, lived with you and your wife and your family. You discipled them. Everything changed. He was healed yeah. of AIDS mm-hmm. and now married, like living, uh, giving his life away for the sake of the gospel, full of love, joy. Like, I think that really speaks to a model that you've given your whole life into. You're just smiling. Why are you smiling? Oh, I'm just thinking about the guy. Yeah, he's, he's amazing. Yeah. He really, like, honestly, yeah, Herb. He's phenomenal. Everybody talks about transformation. Everybody yeah. talk, But, like, uh, you see the fruit in what you've done in your ministry. Like, just talk about that model. How did you come 
to that model of discipleship and yeah. what does that look like? And, and I want to say for that guy, like he was already kind of out of that lifestyle mm-hmm. of homosexual lifestyle before through, um, I think it was a Baptist church or something. So he was, okay. he was growing out of that. You know, I okay. think there were still some things. Maybe I'm mixing two stories, but either way. Guy too, but yeah, but this yeah. guy, you know, and, and when he came to us, I, I think, and that's a common misconception. I think a lot of people talk about discipleship, people and community and living mm-hmm. the light. And, uh, you know, when I'd come back to the States, a lot of people invite me to like these communities because they're, oh, you like community? Yeah, come yeah. see my community. And it's just a bunch of hippies, you know, and I, uh, can I say that? <laughs> you can say whatever okay. you want, man. You know, You're herb. Listen, I'm not telling you what to it, say. I just you know, love it. <laughs> they all live in, there's no rules. There's just, are you talking no to the Christian context? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Please I mean, continue on the non-Christian ones. I bet they're even crazier but you know it's like a bunch of friends hanging out right which is great like do that that's that's great that's not like real community or a church in that setting um and <laughs> you know people are like hey can i come live in your house and my answer is always no you can't live in my house why would i have a stranger living in my house people think i'm crazy i don't like that you know nobody likes sharing space and i, I sit with every community and go you know, this isn't because we just so love each other. We all want to live together. Because I, I have a family, you know, like. Right. But if you want to live here, it's because we all want to get closer to God. And we're, and we're all going to be doing something after the season. Um, and so it has to make sense that way. And there has to be a desire to learn and grow. And so when people come into the community, we kind of just tell them it's got to be 100% for Jesus. You don't call it the community. This is your family, right? Do you have a name on it? Sorry. I, uh, when we had like a community <laughs> with our base... In Brazil, we're right. considered like a right. missional community. So everybody lived there. Okay. Well, not everybody, but like there was, it was a large building. And so we had our house that was attached to this building, right? Okay. So we had our own little house and everything, but it was attached to this three-story kind mm-hmm. of building. And you've been there, right? And, yeah. Um, and so, you know, with it comes, it's not a hostel. It's not like, hey, you can come and we're going to pray and then you do right. your own thing. You know, there's real leadership, there's programs, there's things that have to be done. And we're working with character. So it's a lot about building disciples and people that ultimately, you know, the ministries um, are amazing. But if you have good trees, they're going to produce good fruit. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we really focus a lot on the people. Um, And part of that is if they're not doing anything, you know, that's a problem. So we have a lot of missionaries come in. They're young. They sleep all day. But Herb, that sounds like you're preaching a works gospel. It does. Uh, I'm all about works, man. I think it's great. (laughs) People should be more works oriented. But I agree entirely because the Bible says it. The Bible talks about it. Be be rich in good works. You know, like Jesus is firm on it. Now, it's not by righteousness that you're going to be saved. Right. That's not the question of of salvation. Yes. But we are talking about love and ultimately love to be true and genuine. It has to produce something, which Mm -hmm. we talked about. So if you say, you know, Jesus is going to the church is going, it's by your works. It's by your work. It's not because it's by the works only. It's because of the heart that allowed those works to happen. Right. Does that make sense? Well, yeah. I love, I, you have people, I love my wife, but I beat her. Well, okay, <laughs> yeah. let's talk about that. You know, you have drug addicts all the time saying, I love Jesus, I pray to them all the time. And they're, they're doing crack. They're hitting their kids, they're prostituting their kids. And that's not real love, right? It's maybe an emotional thing. I think we can relate to it and go, yeah, I, I understand how you feel, but that's not real love. And so I think those works are, are important. You should look at your fruit and go, what is my fruit? And I don't mean numerically necessarily. I think that's where we get it wrong. It's not like, oh, I had five salvations this month and it was better than that dude who only had two or better yeah. than the last month. Because no, but it's, it's a condition of your heart. But it also has to be doing something. People that, you know, I think when you're just, the reason I started evangelizing is because just being in your room 
praying, there's a limit to that before you experience God too. So you don't let, in your community, you don't let people just pray fast. I mean, they, they do Wait. that. I just do those things. Um, it depends. Do if you, it's a season, sure, mm -hmm. absolutely. I've had seasons like that. I think it's it's great, but it depends on on the reasoning and what's going on. Not as a norm, no. I, I don't let that happen um, at our house. But you can do that anywhere. You can go to your right. your parents' house and do that. Right. Um, but if it, they've lived with us and this is a season, you know, most of those guys have lived with us for like now for a lot of them for two to three, maybe up to about six years. Right. Yeah. And so because of that, it's a life. Like, and I think that's really important for like, it's, it's, it can't be just a program. You right. can't sustain that. You know, people are getting married during this time. People yeah. are having kids, things change and, and people, you know, lose loved ones, things, traumatic things happen. Mm -hmm. And, and you have to be okay with being flexible to those things. Right. And I think it takes fasting and prayer. It takes people taking some time off and getting time. So you want to be flexible to that, but you're the good thing about being together and living in light is you, you see the person. When you say living in light, I mentioned it as well. What is living in light? Cause I hear you, I hear you share about it a lot. I hear, you know, the people that live with you, you share about that a lot. What yeah. is living in the light? I think it's just making yourself accessible. I think it's part of what Jesus did. He lived with these guys. They could see him. Yeah. Yes, when he's preaching, but also his life. And I think it doesn't mean people move into your room or in your family space. I think some people think that's what I'm saying. You know, we have our family space, we have our family time. Mm -hmm. Like, I think it's important to have that division. But also, are you letting people into your real life? Right. Or are you just coming out and then you're presenting something like teaching or preaching or you're doing a program together and they don't actually see you, right? Yeah. They don't see, like, sometimes when I'm playing a board game with the guys, it's very, Settlers of Catan is very popular at the school. You know, and if I get time, like a couple times during school, I'll, or more than a couple times, I'll try to sit down and, and play with the students or everybody. Now, if I have a bad attitude and I'm whining, which can happen. Mm -hmm. Oh, right? I've never, no, I, I've never seen that hurt. <laughs> uh, but they're going to see it, right? Yeah, they're okay. going to see it and, and they're going to they're gonna understand that I'm human, right? right. But also they're going to see the things that I wouldn't expect them to see. I remember one time in Brazil, I went and, and I was going to, I got something I really wanted. I mean, somebody brought in, someone had told, I think Lorelai told um, this, our first team coming in, like, I really wanted it. We had no money, right. no money for anything, barely had money for food. And they brought in an iPod and I still wanted this iPod. And one of the guys I was discipling, one of the young guys, right? Nedson. And he and his sister were there, Najla. I think you met Najla. Mm -hmm. And, and we went to this church. I was speaking at this church, little church and, right. um, like 50 people and, and speaking. And there was a worship leader there and I felt to give her this thing, right? Which just happens. So I did it all hidden, like behind there. But they saw her walk off with it when she walked, she walked like by him somehow. Mm. Well, I had no idea that that would impact. So all the negative stuff impacts them. They're going, this guy's human. Like he's not all perfect. He whines at board games or he does this. Right. Or, you know, um, and it makes you really accountable to yourself. One, you got to apologize a lot. Home, why? I don't understand. I'm sorry. So I, I missed something here. You so you gave this sorry. girl an iPad, an iPod. <laughs> they knew that how was much, yours. Yeah. And, and so they knew how much it meant to me, mm -hmm. right? And so what happened was, Ned, uh, I think it was a few months later, he ended up, they were all going to uh, go to Mozambique. I believe that's how it went. And they all pulled their money together. But they had seen us kind of do that. And they also had that heart. Mm -hmm. And Ned had raised more than enough to go to the Harvest School. And there were eight others. Uh, and I think it's like $3,000 back in the day yeah. to do it. And it's a lot for a Brazilian. And he had done like his double, but they were all putting it in a pot. And he, he made a decision, I'm not going to go. I've already been to a YOM school. Right. 
kind of, he had kind of been in and out. He said, I don't need to go. Some of these younger guys need to go. Yeah. And, and when I talked to him, I said, no, man, you should go. Like, you know, and I wanted to get his heart. He, he said, you know, I saw you do that thing. Okay. You know, I saw how you gave something that really was your, like, but you yeah. wanted to. And he said, that really touched me. I want to live like that. And, and sometimes those most impacting things you do, how you raise your kids, how you do things, the, you know, when you speak, people take what they want to take. Right. I they're totally gonna, agree. They're going to take the good. They go, I agree with that. I don't like that. You know, and they're going right. to hear whatever they want to hear. I think the Holy Spirit helps us to go a little bit beyond that. But discipleship lets you kind of come in and go, listen, bro, there's a real issue here. So where, because I, I don't live this way personally, mm-hmm. right? Because, but I love it. I, I, I admire it. Yeah. Um, and so, but I do teach it. I do say like, yeah. hey, this is the way we live and not this is the way you should live and is a in yeah. and I have friends that do this and the fruit is greater than anything I've ever seen but but everybody asks me the question what about boundaries I hear that all the time yeah. right like wh- wh- how do you respond to boundaries and healthy boundaries I hear a lot in in I think the the Christian culture right now it's like oh it's about you and your heart your soul and your boundaries and your time yeah uh, this doesn't really that lifestyle that you're talking about doesn't give you a lot of alone time yeah um i think one you there are boundaries but i think it's really important i think in christian life though that there are no boundaries for god right so if god says live on a street corner there's nothing biblically i think some people think there's that says that that's not what should happen okay jesus says of himself i have no place to even lay my head right Mm -hmm. and and so that doesn't mean i think normally what i would want for my family but right it's a possibility and we have to be fully open to God. I think there's all these lines that we say, God, you can move. I want you, I want it, no matter what, except for this. Yeah. My job, my privacy, my whatever. Um, and there's things you got to look at fruit. You know, what is it developing? There's there's a point. I mean, I know people that live in communities so much, but they're, again, their point in community is just to bless others. Right. That's not really my point in community. I think the idea of discipleship is you're making disciples for Jesus. Right. And you have to think, I, I'll ask myself, is this somebody that I think is pleasing to God? Are they generating fruit that is good or not? Because G, I love Jesus, right? And there's some people I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. God wants to be around him. I'm sure he does. Um, you know, we might have to edit this. <laughs> no, you know, you're fine. God, you did. You see what you want to say, man. <laughs> they're only thinking of themselves. And I think God has so much grace and mercy. And that's right. amazing. He does. And we're not talking salvation necessarily here, but I wonder how much joy is this going to bring in eternity? How much worship, how much love can they, are they capable of bringing? I have to ask that for myself. Yeah. And, and it's the formation of that. How much love can I bring into eternity that I get to love him forever, worship him? And that's really the fruit we're talking about yeah. that lasts. So in discipleship, I'm not looking at how, how well do people like me? Right. I think a lot of people that are in discipleship because it's community, they're scared to have really difficult talks. They're yeah. scared to make some of those boundaries on the fly because they want to protect themselves from the negative aspects of confrontation or relationships. And you have to be okay as a leader to go, I don't care if people like me or not. Yeah. I'm going to love them. Yeah. Right? And, and I want the fruit being, if they don't like me, that's fine. I don't want that. That shouldn't be the case with Christians. But ultimately, when they leave here, they're going to be closer to God. And things like that. Usually they don't work together very well. Yeah. But in your heart, I think you have to make that statement. I think Jesus wasn't always super nice in what we would say. You know, he turns to Peter and goes, 
Get behind me, Satan. Uh, yeah. Right? You have the things of the world in mind. Yeah. Not the things of God. Sometimes you need to say that to people. And you can preach all day and it's non-confrontational in a sense. Like people yeah. go, oh, that's so intense. But anybody, you know, you've ever been in, you, everybody's been in the situation, I think, where you take a friend to church and you're like, wow, this is exactly what this friend needed to hear. Right. And they're like, that was so good. And it's for another friend. <laughs> right? They don't apply. And I think with discipleship, part of that and living together is you can say, this is an issue. I've seen the fruit. And as leaders, we're trying to help people cultivate fruit, but you have no authority to speak in. With guys that I, I see, it doesn't mean I live with them. They're you know in my space all the time, but I yeah. have enough access, enough time that I can see, hey, you're mean. Yeah. You don't do the dishes. You don't care for people. When you're asked to do something, you do it with a bad attitude. Not one time, one off, fix that. It's like, I've seen you for months. This is an issue. No, it's not. Well, here's an example. Here's an example. Here's this helps people. Yeah. Because you don't want to believe you're you you're a mess. You don't want to believe you're broken or you need that kind of right. There was there was a guy that you know um, we were just talking about it and and I love this guy. He's amazing. Everywhere he goes, just favor. Uh, he's been a huge help to me. Um, but when you know when I first met him, I, after about a month, I said, "Listen, do you realize that you've not once?" And we live with a few people yeah. in the garage, so they're not in our house, but like kind of around. And, and he knew them, and he said, "You've never asked how someone's doing. You've never you talk a lot, but you've never asked somebody else how they're doing." Mm. And it just he never had heard. No one had ever told him things like that before. Yeah. And so he got back home, and he asked this girl, uh, one of the missionaries, going to Nepal. Um, that was living in our trailer in the back. She, he, go, he comes and goes, hey, how are you doing? And she goes, <laughs> she calls the other girl. She goes, this guy just asked me how I was doing. She yeah. goes, no. <laughs> and, but now right. it totally opened him up because right. he said, you know, in, in his, all his time in his church and, and his dad's a pastor and everything, no one had ever told him that. And it, I mean, it made him difficult to talk to and yeah. relate to. And so I think that discipleship process, you do need some grounds though to see things yeah. before you call things out. Yeah. Um, because sometimes you make the wrong call. So I never call something out like first time, you know, um, if it's not a big thing, if it's something like someone's throwing chairs or something which happened, you know, I'll call that out. That but happens. like, that happens, you know, it was an ex-drug dealer and stuff, you know. Oh, I thought you were talking about our staff meeting. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I haven't no, been, not yet. I haven't been that <laughs> no. one. Yeah. So yeah, man. They I, get thrown at me. No, I'm just kidding. I can see it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you block them. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I think discipleship is key. I think that there's a lot we can do in this generation through social media, yeah. through videos like this, but it's not the same thing totally. as being able to speak into a life. And you need relationship there to yeah. speak in. And they need to you need to have a relational authority too, where they see your life and they go, at the end of it, the good and the bad, this is someone that I want to be more like. They exemplify Jesus. Yeah. I think that keeps us accountable yeah. to not just preach and then do whatever when we get home and just, you know, but to continuously have that lifestyle. Come on. Well, honestly, Herb, and, and I've heard Heidi say it a thousand times, but I, I don't, I've witnessed it. The people that come out uh, from out of your ministry, out of your house. I don't think you'd even call it a ministry. It's just who you and your wife are, are spectacular. And they're all off doing amazing things for the kingdom. Uh, you know, everywhere I go, people are like, oh, I lived with Herb and Lorelai. I did this, I, you know. Yeah. And I think it really speaks to what you're carrying. You, you uh, exemplify, you and your wife really exemplify a major heartbeat of Iris. Mm -hmm. And uh, I love, I love having you guys around. I love what you guys bring to the table. You always... Uh, you sharpen, you sharpen me. 
Uh, I've stolen many of your messages this last season. No, honestly, like I'm, I'm, I'm saying that mildly joking, but like I hear you speak and I go, oh my God, that's, uh, I needed to hear that. And probably the body needs to hear that too. Um, I, I, I love having you around, man. And I know we're going to do this again, but before I, before we end today, um, can you just share for a quick second, like what Herb's talking about here, um, wh which camera am I at? Where, where am I? I'm right here. So what Herb's talking about here is something that, um, and he didn't ask me to do this, but it is something that, that they do in their, in the second tier school. And you're not living in his house, but you come together for two months, two and a half months, mm -hmm. and you get trained up for the purpose on going out. So what this school is, is not just a school for, oh, I want to try to figure out where my life is going and what God wants to take me to. It's like, I know God's calling me. I know I'm going to get called to a nation uh, I, and I'm ready to, to make that move. This this school, you can actually come and sit under this. Some people that petrifies them, but actually it's probably the thing you need the most. The reality of what Herb and Lorelai carry is that they've seen it, been there, they've been through it, they've given their lives away. And, uh, and they, and they, they love, they love it. They're, they're amazing at it. They're a great family on the field. Uh, but they're also training up and raising up and sending out people around the world. How many, how many pioneers have you sent out in this last season? This last one? Yeah. From the school, I think there's five now. That are separate bases that are yeah. just this last school. Mm -hmm. you, you know, that's five, that's five people, five, uh, couples, or I don't know exactly which one they're teams. Yeah. Teams that are going out in some of the most unreached, some of the most broken places in the world and seeing the gospel continue to go out and spread. So if that, if that excites you and it should, honestly, like whenever I get around you and your wife and I hear the stories, I, actually I get this from all of our, all of our Iris bases. Um, something inside of you gets triggered. Something inside yeah. of you goes, this is the call of the gospel. Uh, it might be offensive, but the gospel is offensive. It might be hard to hear sometimes, but the reality is you probably need to hear it. And, and when, when you give your life to Jesus, he deposits life inside of you. And it's not for you to hang on. It's for you to give it away. And so I want to encourage you, if you're interested in, in the school, if you're interested in getting some more information, go to irisglobal.org. On the list of schools, you'll see the second second year school. What is it exactly? Pioneer yeah, school. Yeah, the Pioneer School. Uh, it's on there. You're doing, when's your next one? We're planning uh, summer, American summer. So June, really? July. June, July. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, June, July. Time. Um and you can get more information. If you want to reach out to Herb directly, his cell phone is no. Uh, you can you can email him at Herb. Herbert. Herbert? E. You, who who names their child Herbert, by the way? My mom. <laughs> Dad. Is it it's not Brazilian, is no. it? I've never met a Brazilian I named Herbert. It's, no, it's an older generation name. <laughs> yes, it is. It's getting, it's getting rare. Okay, so if people want to get in touch with you, how do they get in touch with you? Uh Herbert B at irisglobal.org. Mm -hmm. And if they have questions yep. about missions, questions about uh, going onto the missions field. They can pray. They can fast and pray. No, and totally, do yeah, good can... works. <laughs> then I'll talk to them. Uh, have faith. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, no, you can reach out to me. Awesome. Yeah, Herbert B at irisglobal.org. Awesome. I could probably put it on something. Yeah, they'll stick it up there on the screen somewhere. Right here? I don't know, maybe. I don't know if we've gotten After Effects yet. Oh, okay. It just looks weird. 
Just, That's why I keep my arms yeah. on the table and to cover up my poison oak. It itches so bad. Listen, <laughs> hey, everybody, thank you for watching uh, this episode of The Green Room, an Iris Global podcast. We're here with Herbert Barbuti, VP of Missions for Iris Global. You're an amazing man. I love you massive. I love your family massive. You got the cutest kids Aww. on the planet. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna definitely do this again. And I would just encourage you anywhere you see this because Herbert is staff. We have all access to Herbert. If you have any any difficult questions, we actually do this in our office. We call it sickle time with Herb, where we where where we we throw out uh, hard questions in front of Herb and we let him go after them on the uh, on on some of our staff prayer times. But if you have any questions, anything you'd like to know more about missions, you can put a comment below. You can also reach out to Herbert directly. Love you, Herb. You don't have any Thanks, products. Man. You don't have anything I can like. Nope. Nope. Just your beard. If you want a piece Not of his sale. beard, email him, and uh, he'll, he'll send you one in the mail. It grows fast. Love you guys. We'll catch you on the next uh, podcast. Nicely Thanks, done. Well. Thank you.